Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer living and working in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Anne Remy. I'm a counseling psychotherapist, yoga teacher, and trauma specialist living in Brighton, UK. On this show, we interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. But we're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level, from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. It's exciting to be here. It is, right? Yeah. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can support this podcast and support us by buying merch. We have lots of really nice merch, some cool t-shirts, which you can find at tinyurl.com slash cwhmerch. That's tinyurl.com slash cwhmerch. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcast, which is super important for other people to find the podcast. You can support us on Patreon as well. Find us at patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. That's patreon.com slash convos with a wounded healer. And you get a little fun welcome gift when you join. Yeah, you get a fun welcome gift. And if you join from the UK, I'll send you a welcome gift. Yay. Yay. And if you join from other countries, we can't help you. But thank you. But we still <laughs> love you nonetheless. But we love you nonetheless. <sighs> How are you doing today, Anne? I went to a sound bath this morning, so I'm feeling great. Ooh, yeah. that's lovely. It I is did lovely. not do a sound bath. Uh, it was lovely. And I'm getting ready to go on my vacation. So I'm in this like middle ground of it's about to be vacation time and I'm a little zenned out from the morning. So I'm pretty great. How are you doing, Sarah? But you just got back from the U.S. Yeah, but, mm, going home. That is, wasn't a going home is not vacation. <laughs> going home is is going home and being so overwhelmed with things that we don't get yeah. to see every. I didn't get to see you, right? Because it's just too much. Like there's so many people. Yeah. To eat. there's so many tacos to eat. Yeah, so I wind up burning myself out every time I go back to the States, and I'm mm -hmm. learning to do better about that, so. Yeah, well, when you live here again, it will be easier. That's right. When I live there again, it won't be a problem. Yeah, well, and I, I wanted to bring up the the funny feedback that you got from your family. <laughs> That, okay. that our voices sound exactly alike. Okay, so let's do a, just a little <laughs> poll, right? So let's ask yeah. people, all listeners except for Anne's family, they don't get a vote anymore because they've already voted. Do you think we sound the same? Yes or no. Why don't we say the same thing? Okay. What should we say? Peter mm -hmm. Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers? Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Does that sound the same is what we need to know. Does that? Yeah. So very important information here today. And for all of my family who are listening, because my family are incredibly supportive and we're all very excited. Hi, family. Love you. And my family are dead, so they are not commenting on this. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm actually seeing a medium today, so they might comment from beyond the grave. We'll report back. I'm going to go ahead and assume that my family was able to tell which one of us said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let's talk about Shay. Can we please talk about Shay? Yes. I loved her. 
so I met Shay doing my yoga teacher training and she was still in her training to become an herbalist. Mm -hmm. And I think I was actually her first client uh, because I contacted her. Yeah. I contacted her not long after she graduated. And so I've been, I've been working with her for over a year now and I've learned so much about medical herbalism about plants in general and about what exists around us, uh, especially in the the Brighton area because of her. And it's been really, mm-hmm. and you'll hear us talk about this. I assume that everything in nature can kill me right? because some things can, and I don't know I can't. So it's better to just right. like err on the side of caution. And Shay is kind of helping me change that just by telling me things, which is very cool. So yeah, I love the conversation too of the marriage of herbalism Mm. and Western medicine, because that's how I like to roll through the world is that all of it has merit. And like, sometimes medication is necessary. Sometimes crystals are necessary, like whatever it is, right? Like I take Lexapro, I'm very open about that. Mm -hmm. And I meditate, right? So both things can be true at the same time that the woo woo and the uh, Western meds go together. Yeah. And I, you know, I love a bit of woo woo just as much as everyone else. And I think herbalism falls into a space that's not woo woo. It's just not uh, like commonly. Yeah. It's just not mainstream. And I personally have had some really outstanding results using herbal medicine that you know, chronic conditions I had gone to a million doctors Mm. for in the past were just like, don't know what's wrong with you, can't Mm. work with this, or like tried to put me on the pill or tried to put me on thyroid medication or this, Mm -hmm. and none of it was the issue. And that's not to say that those aren't great solutions for some people, but they were not the right solution for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and, and Shay, I think she does a great job of explaining the way that she, she marries all that together and that's how she practices as well. And I think that that's, it's, it's just a really beautiful way to kind of meet the old and the new. Yeah, I was watching, oh shit, what's his name? Eugene Levy's Reluctant Traveler. Have you seen this? No, I haven't watched it yet. It's adorable. It's on Apple TV. And we watched the episode with him in Venice. And he was talking to gondoliers who, like, being a gondolier has been in their family for however long Venice has existed. And it's just, like, passed down from generation to generation. And mm-hmm. it was such a cool, like, you're talking about this marriage of the old and the new. It's like, it's a bustling city with all these things. And they still have a lot of the old traditions. And I feel like, Sometimes we assume that some older way of thinking about things is just wrong, right? That Mm. somehow science has misproven whatever is older, but there's so much wisdom that we lose when we're not recognizing all of the things, right? There's a reason that people started using herbs. Well, and it's funny, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about when I started learning about polyvagal theory and about different ways of working with the vagus nerve. I was like, hold up. Like you're telling me to hum and you're mm-hmm. telling me to like vibrate this area. That's what mm-hmm. Buddhists and yoga mm-hmm. practitioners have been doing for a gazillion years. Mm-hmm. And I think the more I learn about ways of healing the body that are like free and working with yourself, indigenous peoples around the world, tribal people, people in ancient cultures had already figured their shit out. I know. 
And it took us, we had to go like in this giant loop to kind of end up right back where, you know, someone who's a specialist in one thing is telling me to hum, Mm -hmm. which like my yoga teacher has been telling me to do forever (laughs) before we even knew what polyvagal Mm -hmm. theory is. And so Mm -hmm. I think in that, it's another really good example of like old and new meat. And sometimes the old needs a rebrand for everybody to kind of get on board or to understand it in in a modern world. Yeah. Well, I've talked about this before, and I'm looking over here because I'm looking for the book. It is called The Leap. And I reached out to this guy to interview him, and we just stopped communicating. So I've got to reach out to him again. But he talked about there being a fall. Like, there there was belief in more, like, indigenous intuitive wisdom. And then mm-hmm. there was a serious, like, drop-off. And then after that, it became all about science. And because it's, like, spiritual awakening, I think. I'm looking at the book, and all I can see is that it says the leap right here. But he's talking about spiritual awakening and the, and the marrying of the intuitive and the scientific. And, mm. like, we do have all of the knowledge at our fingertips right now. And, and what a... It's funny because most of the time I'm like, oh my God, it's such a hard time to be alive. But in this in this way, it's a very exciting time to be alive that we mm-hmm. have more tools at our disposal now than humanity has ever had before, theoretically. Yeah, I really like that. I, I you know, and I think that one of the reasons that I was excited to share Shay's work with everybody is to add more tools to the toolbox. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate of you know, I'm, I'm a, I don't like the word victim for this, but like a victim of the the system where it's like, you know, women don't get listened to mm-hmm. when they go to the doctor. And we know this is an issue for women and mm-hmm. for people of color. Mm-hmm. I now with all the knowledge I have should have been diagnosed with like chronic anxiety or complex trauma, mm-hmm. which to be fair, wasn't really a diagnosis. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was going to all these doctors, but had one person mm-hmm. ever asked me what happened to you rather than what's wrong with you, Yes, a lot yes. of good information would have come out. Yep. And that's one of the incredible things that I've experienced with Shay and with herbalism in general is we're getting a whole picture of mm-hmm. what's going on with who you are, with where you've come from, with what's happened to you. And that's so important. It's important to us as therapists to do that as well. You don't just say, cool, what's going on today? Yep. Like, we're, of course, we're incorporating right. the past because, you know, yep. we're just maps of everything that's happened to us. I want an herbalist. So I want to know, like, is there like, I'm sure in the United States, there's some sort of like, United Herbalists of America or something. <laughs> Probably. I bet you could reach yeah. out. Maybe I'm not going to say reach out to Shay because I yeah. don't want a bunch of people yeah. reaching out to her. But right. uh, how about you reach out to Shay and you report back? Uh, deal. I shall reach out to Shay and report back. And if there is something for the United States that is a good reference point mm-hmm. that she in, not endorses, but, but you yeah. know, yeah. blesses, yes. uh, then we'll put that in the show notes as well. Cool. Well, do you want to yeah. introduce her? I do. I would love nothing more than to introduce Shay. Shay Grant is a Canadian yoga teacher and medical herbalist living in the UK. She's been teaching yoga for eight years and practicing as an herbalist for two. Sorry, she says herbalist. So I'm going to say she's been practicing (laughs) as a herbalist for two. She believes in creating an empowering relationship with our bodies and the land. So enjoy our amazing conversation with Shay. 
Shay, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hello. It's nice to have you here. It's really nice and very surreal to be here. Yeah. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. My name is Shay. And I work as a medical herbalist and a yoga teacher. And I'm Canadian, but I live in the UK. And I think moving to the UK was a big part of what I do and why I chose to do. Yeah, can you say a little bit more about, well, first of all, I want to say I met Shay on my yoga teacher training. You came in and did some yoga with us. And it's, it's rocket yoga that you were demonstrating for us, which was a super fun and very intense practice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. So when I first qualified in yoga, I was in my early 20s. I had a dance background. And the only way you could get me to sit still was to really get me through my paces physically. Mm. And I needed to kind of burn off all that energy in order to finally find some stillness. And so I was really attracted to power yoga, Ashtanga yoga. And my first qualification was in rocket yoga and Ashtanga yoga. And I trained with the yoga people. So rocket takes the Ashtanga system, resequences it to be a little bit more vinyasa in style, and then adds handstand work and core work. I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm 100% sure that in the class that you did in our yoga teacher training, I uh, got too aggressively excited. That's the phrase I'm going to use with a handstand and just like <laughs> threw myself forward, <laughs> which is fine because I, you know, I was fine and I, it was fun. And I think that that's kind of what I took from, from your practice and the way that you teach was we're just playing with our bodies and I think I could feel the energy that you had as a teacher and that the practice of, of rocket yoga had. It's a little bit of a rock star style of yoga. It's very playful. It's always, almost always, in my experience, set to really upbeat music. And it kind of feels like a party sometimes. The energy, mm. of, the energy of it just brings you up into this playful space and very sweaty and very fun. And I still really love that about it. So the, the creator of Rocket Yoga, Larry Schultz, he created Rocket Yoga with the Grateful Dead. He was on tour <laughs> with the Grateful Dead. So, <laughs> so you kind of get that sense from it. It's not a somber, serious style of yoga. Not in my experience. So that's how I met Shay through my yoga teacher training. And then you qualified as a medical herbalist not long after I met you. And I reached out to you, what, maybe a year, just over a year ago, looking for herbal support for some chronic health issues that I've been experiencing. So I actually work with Shay with her as my herbalist doctor. I don't know what to... Herbalist, yeah. Herbalist, okay. And you pronounce the H in herbalist whereas I do is that a Canadian thing or is that a thing you've adopted <laughs> since you moved to the UK I don't even know anymore <laughs> I don't I honestly can't tell you how I ever originally pronounced it but I I wouldn't get away with saying herbalist in my yeah training, fair so enough. I just didn't even bother okay so as a herbalist I'm gonna I'll say it for today <laughs> even though everything inside of me is like no you said 
when I moved to the UK that that helped to put me down the path of what I'm doing now. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, I wasn't really interested in plants when I lived in Canada. I just didn't really notice them. Mm. There was green and that was very lovely. And I lived in a place that was really lush and beautiful, but I had no interest in, in herbalism or plants. I definitely had an interest in natural health. And I think that came from the way I was raised. But it took moving to the UK for me to finally see the plants mm. as individual plants and to notice them and to be gripped by the idea that they could be medicinal, that there is medicine all around me. And I just had to search for that information. Mm. My theories around that are a little bit more woo. You know, my ancestry is English for the most mm -hmm. part and Scottish. And I've got a little bit of Swedish ancestry as well. And so I wonder if that has something to do with it. I wonder if there is kind of a homecoming that yeah. was a little bit deeper. But yeah, all that to say, it wasn't until I was on this land that I noticed the plant. Mm, so there was something about being in the UK and, and, you know, I don't think it sounds too woo-woo. And that's Sarah, who also, who co-hosts this podcast, who started the podcast, uses that term all the time. So you're amongst friends here. But I, I really hear that there's something about different physical places that pull out different things in us that I 100% believe. And mm -hmm. I've experienced that myself. You know, I was born in Ohio, but Chicago has always felt like home to me, even before I lived there. And there's okay. just something about like, my feet being within the city boundaries that I'm just grounded and centered in a way mm -hmm. that I am no place else. So I understand that. So you once you started kind of noticing the plants, and you said, there's medicine all around me. And I love this. I love this phrase. I love the concept. So what kind of took you into your training? And can you tell us a little bit about that training? Yeah, there was that idea that gripped me. And so I started doing my research. So I was on Google. I was in the bookshops looking for herbal books. And my first herbal book, and this is a really common story with herbalists, which is really interesting that we a lot of us come to this book on our own is A Modern Herbal by David Hoffman. Mm -hmm. And it's a really beginner-friendly herbal book. So it's all based on teas and he gives remedies for certain complaints and they're all tea-based. And so I started making some of those teas and I'd get the herbs from Neil's yard and they worked. Mm. And I was like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And kept doing my search and realized that a herbalist was a thing you could be. So I found a kind of herbal immer immersion in Scotland. And you lived with a herbalist for two months. So it was residential and you lived on his land and you basically hung out with him every day and learned about the plants. Cool. Day in, day out for two months. And there were two other apprentices as well. So there's three of us in total. It took me, I think, a year and a half from knowing that that program was there to actually going onto it. So, and then there was a correspondence course, intro to herbalism, home study course that I did in preparation to go. I went for two months and it was with Keith Robertson of Scottish School of Herbal Medicine. And it was just transformative. Yeah, it was transformative, not just because... I was learning from a herbalist at all times, 
but because the other apprentices were also not just committed to the plants and to their modalities of healing, but also really committed to their personal growth. And so I was really lucky to form a really deep bond with both of those women. We really held each other through some big transitions as we were in that time. It was really powerful. It's hard to speak about because it's not tangible. And, and over that time period as well, it was less about learning the science of the plants and more about connecting on an emotional and spiritual level to the land, to the plants that way. So I, coming out of that, had this basis that was a lot more in my heart than in my head mm-hmm. for connecting to the plants. And I think really that let me go through the training that I needed to to become a medical herbalist because it, it is so grueling that if you don't have that absolute love for it in your heart, you just can't make it. So yeah, so it was a year maybe after I finished that immersion that I went into the medical herbalist program with Botanica. And that was a three-year full-time course. Mm-hmm. It's a Bachelor of Science equivalent. It's very scientific, very medical in its angle, and it equips you for treating patients in a clinical setting. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it also took place over you know, the pandemic. Yeah. I was studying over lockdowns and so that's that's another layer to that I went through some of that myself so Mm. I absolutely understand the additional stress put on when you're already stressed out (laughs) going through a program and you said you have to have the love for it in your heart to go through the grueling process of becoming a herbalist and when you said that I was like yeah, it's this to become a therapist, you you have to have a love for yeah. that. And I and I would suspect it's probably similar similar in most healing professions. You really have to have a love for it to propel you through cuz I can't I mean, I can't think of one healing profession that has an easy training to go to go through. <laughs> no, and it makes sense, you know. You it's such a huge responsibility yeah. to hold people in a clinical mm-hmm. setting. And it's such a huge responsibility to hold people's health. Mm-hmm. You have to be tested yeah. and you have to have the strength to go through that. It's so it's hard. So- <laughs> <laughs> it's, so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. And and I think, you know, as someone, as a patient of yours, as someone who's worked with you, I can feel, I feel the love that's absolutely transcended through your training of what you're doing. And it inspired, you know, before we started recording, I was telling Shay, my garden is just a, it's exactly what you kind of said earlier. It's like, it's just green. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know anything about plants. Y'all, I'm, I'm, it's not my skill. But through working with you, I have actually developed a new appreciation for nature and for I'm like, oh, I wonder if that plant does some cool thing I don't know about, because I'm sure it does. And I've actually developed a new connection with plants and nature in general. And that's and that's something that I think my experience with herbal medicine has, yeah, has has brought to me through you. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> so glad to hear that. Beyond kind of facilitating people's health and supporting people's mm-hmm. health with herbs. I think what really fires me up 
is bringing people and the plants together Mm -hmm. and not just a way that is like, I take this tincture and it makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. But deepening that connection to the land, because I think that's kind of the bigger work is bringing ourselves into our bodies and then extending into the Mm -hmm. land where we start feeling like we belong to the land Mm. and then we're much more interested in its protection and its well-being Mm. so that's kind of that's another side of my work that definitely comes out when I'm in a teaching role if I'm teaching Mm -hmm. herbs but I'm so glad to hear that it's also coming through in a clinical oh absolutely 100% can you say a little bit more about about how that comes through in a teaching role and what your what your kind of zoomed out aim is like what would your dream scenario be so when I'm in a teaching role and it's very similar to taking a walk with me I get very very excited and skipping around like a little fairy <laughs> and pointing out all of the different plants and you don't have to walk far you know you 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 take about 10 steps and there's about 10 medicinal herbs in that 10 wow. steps and I love seeing people's faces light up when they realize common weeds are super medicinal. Plants that they've known throughout their whole lives are actually super helpful for them and that they can actually interact with the land and they can harvest those plants and they can make medicine at home. And it's really simple to make home remedies a lot of the time. And there's, so the zoom out is you belong to the land and you get to connect Mm -hmm. to it. And it's a simple act of people don't even smell flowers when they walk Mm. past them. And I ask people all the time, what does a gorse flower smell like? And they have no idea. What does a what flower? A gorse flower. I don't even know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those really spiky bushes in Heathland and um, they're covered in... They're kind of like Heathland. They like they like all. You're sorts using of words that I have no. What is, okay, so okay, let's rewind. Gorse flower. I'm actually going to Google this while while we're okay. So it's like a yellowy bush looking flower. Yes, it's all over the UK. It's all. Over. I have seen it all over the UK, but now I know what you're talking about. Mm. Gorse flower. Yeah. So. Interacting with the land is as simple as smelling a flower. And a lot of people don't do that. They don't smell flowers. Mm. And a lot of the time I ask people, what does a gorse flower smell like? They're nearly always in bloom. And they smell like coconut or buttered popcorn. They smell fantastic. Mm. And they don't smell like what we're taught flowers smell like. Okay. And... I think that's why I'm interested in that scent in particular. Mm. Because when I ask you to imagine a floral scent, you have this scent in your mind of like a lilac or something. Lilacs are exactly what I was thinking of when you said that, actually. Yeah. But it doesn't smell like that at all. And there's so many flowers that don't smell, Mm. quote unquote, floral. But we've kind of lost that curiosity to interact with the land and to engage with it even so much as to smell flowers when we pass mm. them by. And I think that's a shame. That's a huge shame. And I think that disconnect between us and the land is something maybe we don't tend to or we don't realize we miss until we start cultivating mm. it again. And then we realize how important it is to us. 
Yeah. And for me, it's this sense of belonging that is really at the core of all of that. So a belonging to the land or belonging to the space mm. around you. And that, I mean, that echoes right back to what you said about moving to the UK and sort of finding these roots, maybe literally and figuratively, or maybe pun intended, yes. I'll even <laughs> say. <laughs> exactly. And it's funny because as you were saying that, I was thinking about something that I think I may have said to you the first time I met you was that I just assume that everything in nature can kill me because, <laughs> I, you know, you hear about you pick the wrong mushroom and you're dead or, you know, something. So I just assume everything can kill me and I err on the side of not mm -hmm. dying. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, that it it is a shame because I would love to not be approaching my surroundings with fear, but it feels like I don't have the knowledge to be able to do that. Yeah, which is why... I love teaching. Mm. I love teaching. So we can start building that knowledge of herbs that are super, super safe in terms of there's, there's so many herbs that are safe to make home remedies with and safe in terms of if you're on any medications, they don't interact with mm. them. So you can just kind of freely make home medicine with them. And when you start to make that relationship, like, oh, these plants are really nourishing for me and they grow everywhere, mm -hmm. then you start to realize that you are a part of the land mm. and the land is a part of you and you're not separate of it. Like even the word nature, the word nature means everything that humans haven't made. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Oh, the, the word I never, Oh, I don't know why that just hit me, but it sure did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even our thought about nature removes us yeah. from it our language around it, we take ourselves out of it. Mm. So it's a, it's, yeah, it is. It's a separate, in the same way that so many practices separate the mind and the body. And we actually mm. don't have a vocabulary that allows us to kind of consider them as one. It's, it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying. We don't really have a vocabulary to, to consider ourselves as one with nature. Yeah. Exactly. We co-evolved with these plants. Mm. We belong to them just as much as they belong to us. There is such an integrated symbiotic relationship there. And actually, if anyone who's listening wants to read a really beautiful book about this, it's Braiding mm. Sweetgrass. And yeah, that kind of, the way that humans can be responsibly integrated into the land when I read that book, I remember getting this like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be her and I'm going to go be in nature. And then I, I think I went and like sat outside in my yard and was like, Am I, <laughs> should I cover myself in mud or something? Like she doesn't even, she doesn't, I don't think she does that in the book at all. But in my head, I was like, how do I be more in this? But like, just, mm. it, but just sitting in my yard is, is enough. There's, I'm surrounded by lots of beautiful trees and stuff, but it's, that shows you how disconnected my mindset mm. is for like, how do I get more into this and smell a flower that I've never heard of before? But I do, I Googled Ooh. it as we've been talking and I, I do see that flower everywhere. Actually, <laughs> Now that, now that, now that I've seen it, the gorse flower, UK listeners, you definitely will, will see it everywhere. American listeners, maybe not. I don't know. But 
it's all to prove your point that we're so disconnected from nature. And that kind of makes me think, and I'm wondering your thoughts on where herbal medicine fits within the grand scheme of, of medicine in general. Because we talk mm. a lot about, you know, herbal medicine and, and Western medicine, I guess we'll call it. In theory, you could look at them and see that they're at odds or two separate practices. And I wonder mm. what your opinions on that are. I have a very nuanced approach to that because I think, I know, I'll open this, I would, I would not choose a world without modern mm -hmm. medicine. I would not choose to live in that mm -hmm. world. We're very lucky to be in this time with the medicine that we have. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's always important to know that you have options in certain cases. Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a case-by-case case sure. part of my training in herbalism is to understand the power of herbs, but to also understand their limits. And they do have limits. They're also incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, we would collaborate both sides of the medicine coin, the complementary slash alternative medicine therapists and the mainstream orthodox medicine mm -hmm. practitioners would understand one another and collaborate and be able to find the best therapeutic avenue for every patient mm. that had the least side effects and the most healing potential. Mm. That's such a utopian dream, but that would be ideal. I think herbs are almost always supportive. There's almost always a role where herbs can be supportive in some way, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that they are going to be more effective in all cases than mm. mainstream medicine would be by a long shot. And I think mainstream medicine is very good at quick results. And mm -hmm. when it comes to like life-threatening scenarios, I, I would not be in, in just the herbal realm mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a nuanced thing. Sure. And I think what's interesting is a lot of people expect herbalists to be anti-medicine mm -hmm. when really we prefer to work alongside medicine. I can't speak for all herbalists, of course, but all of the ones I was taught with by and consider mentors will work alongside mainstream medicine. Yeah, I think, and I'm definitely not, I, you know, that wasn't me to asking you to plant, plant a flag in, in the sand on one side <laughs> or the other, because I think, I, you know, in working with you, that's been my experience as a patient. And I, maybe because I live in the hippie town of Brighton, have actually gotten to experience <laughs> a bit of this utopian society where you kind of said something to me and said, I actually need you to go talk to your GP about this. And I called my GP and I said, okay, I know you might think I'm crazy or that this sounds a little bit too woo-woo, but I work with an herbalist and she said this and she sent me to you to have you kind of check this out. And my GP goes, oh, it's awesome that you're working with an herbalist because herbal medicine is a really great support for this thing that you're struggling with. And... I was shocked that that was her response, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. I was kind of expecting her to, to either tell me off or roll her eyes or whatever. But she said, 
keep doing what you're doing with the herbal medicine because it's a great support. Here's the information your herbalist is asking for. Here's what we see on our side of this. Here's what we see as the way to kind of fit that. Like she kind of gave me this great collaboration plan. Yeah, it, was, it was awesome. And I was, I was like, thank you. That's the dream. <laughs> I was so, it was like the first time I ever experienced social health care where when I, I walked away like I just backed out of the room when they told me I didn't need to pay anything because I didn't trust that they weren't going to like slap me with a surprise bell. <laughs> and I just backed out of the room. But it was it was the same situation. I was like, okay, are you not going to call me later and yell at me for this? Like, I honestly, I it was it was so unbelievable that that was the response. And I think something that has been really amazing with that is it's allowed me as a client patient, whatever, to advocate for myself mm. in a new way and to take control of my health in a much more active and mm -hmm. informed way. So yeah. shout out to the the doctors of the NHS who are open to, to that. Yes. Yeah. And also shout out to you for being, you know, for being open to that collaboration as well. And I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, I hope, that we get there in the future where we're collaborating on a more regular basis because I think that's where the best care is going to be mm. for everyone. And that's what it should be about. It should be, always be about the level of care we give our patients mm. rather than our own ideas about what should or should not be used. And for me as a, as a practitioner, when you said that you were empowered to make your own choices, that's also one of my goals is I work in a very patient-led way and... I also always want to equip my patients with the ability to ask their GPs questions and to advocate for themselves. Just because the dynamic so often when people step in a doctor's office is, is the power dynamic mm -hmm. that all of a sudden switches and people often don't feel empowered to kind of ask about their options mm -hmm. and and the reasoning behind certain prescriptions. And you always have the right to, to know all of that. So, yeah, to just feel more empowered to make your own decisions and to advocate for your own health is huge. So I'm glad. And we've seen the research that people of color, queer folks, and women specifically mm -hmm. don't get the sort of same attention from their doctors as, you know, straight says white men. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of studies have not included, you know, marginalized groups of people. So being able to advocate for yourself. And I know that one of the groups that you aim to work with is women. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about your experience working with women and what you hope to bring to them in women's health. Yeah, it's a big passion of mine. And so often women just simply aren't listened mm -hmm. to or they feel like they're not listened to. And a large part of what I do is listening. Mm -hmm. And that that is a large part of the medicine is to finally have someone to listen to you and to take your concerns seriously mm -hmm. and to validate your concerns. Yeah. And then I also feel like gynecology is... It's a tricky one because I think what happens is there's there's not a ton of options in mainstream medical for certain mm -hmm. things. And so when you go to a GP, you get 
prescribed something because that's the option. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they're bad or they're wrong. It's just that's the option that they Mm -hmm. have to offer you. Whereas herbs really, really shine when it comes to gynecology and endocrine. And I just feel they have such a huge role Mm -hmm. in that particular area of health. And I've just seen such dramatic Mm. change in my patients that come to me for gynecological complaints. And it doesn't take long for them to see those drastic changes. And and they had already tried the options that were given to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of proof in the pudding, really. And I'll speak to that from a firsthand experience. Because I think it was after you put me on herbs specifically for endocrine issues, it was like five days later that I sent you an email going, holy shit, I could feel a massive difference and my body was definitely reacting. And I, you know, as you said, I tried lots of other options as well. And, you know, I had gone through, you know, birth control and various mm. various different types of medication to support that and diet and you know whatnot so and the herbs really i mean it was a quick pretty mm-hmm. quick response and it is it is it is amazing <laughs> it's amazing it is amazing and i'm still here having had patients having been through training and seeing patients and seeing the herbs work and every time they work i'm like wow wow Herbs really do work. Wow. I think that is a therapist. <laughs> I'm like, wow. This therapy thing really does does help sometimes. <laughs> wow. I don't know why it still feels like magic, but it sure does. <laughs> but I, I and I think that, that there's something really beautiful about having that appreciation for the practice that you are highly trained in. Where you still appreciate the magic of it. That, mm. yeah, this, you know, mm-hmm. what you're doing is backed by all types of evidence. and But it still feels awesome and like, whoa, cool. Wow, that worked. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really the plants. I mean, that's what's incredible is the plants are doing it. And they know how to do mm. it. So... It's just like, it's magic every single time. It is magic every single time. I'm interested how or if your yoga practice and your herbal practice, how they come together, how they don't come together, if you see ways of integration or where you see those two in relation. What they do is they show my journey and I think an understandable trajectory when it comes to finding that belonging and finding that empowerment within yourself mm. and reintegration. So yoga being that return home to the spiritual and the physical mm-hmm. self, I think, and the work that can be really powerful there. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a wider belonging that comes through with the land as we've been talking about and you have I think you have to belong to your body first and you have to understand that ecology but I think it's important not to get stuck there whoa 
You have to belong to your body first, and then you have to not get stuck there. Holy shit. That just hit me in like a very profound way because I I 100% agree with that and I've never heard it phrased in that way. You have to belong to your body first. I'm going to keep that one. Ooh, keep it. And I think that that really so for you to to take that that phrase, how would you apply yoga and herbal medicine to that? Yeah, so I, I keep those those things kind of separate in in what I do. I have my yoga self mm-hmm. and then I have my herbal practice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they come together in like I teach, um, teaching a few day retreats where I do both. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think essentially the way they come together and I've thought about this a lot, like, can I kind of bring them more together? And every time I just think, unless I went more down the yoga therapy mm-hmm. route, but I don't think that's, that's for me. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of being on those two branches of the same tree and keeping them as two separate branches is, is kind of what I'm doing right now. And it seems to, seems to be where I'll stay. So facilitating yoga in terms of physicality and spirituality and, you know, mm-hmm. what that brings and then facilitating the land-based connection and then facilitating you know, the kind of empowerment that comes from both of those. And then there's a clinical practice as well that's almost kind of in between. Hmm. But yeah, I think they're just going to stay as they are. <laughs> and I, But I think that there's, there's really something important about making that delineation as someone who has lots of different skill sets that could exist in the same world. As you said, if I went down the yoga therapy route, maybe that is something I could, but making the conscious choice to not put them together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like not everything has to intertwine. And I think it's, exactly. it's so important to be able to make that choice. And I'm, you know, I myself have, have faced those kind of same, you know, with therapy and yoga and, Trauma sensitive mm-hmm. yoga, which is kind of both, and mm-hmm. breath work, and, and all of the things that I do are very intertwined. And sometimes I don't want them to be. And sometimes my clients say, I see that you do this, and I like that mm-hmm. that's your ethos, which is why I want to work yeah. with you, but I actually don't want to do any of that. And that's fine. That's I'm exactly. not, I mean, I'm not forcing anyone to do one thing or another, but I think. Again, it's just a, it's a different way of empowering yourself as a practitioner and modeling for your patients and your clients important boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, you'll, you'll probably understand this as well. They all make sense intertwined within your own development yeah. in yeah. yourself. Like they all piece together it, within you, but you can still teach them separately. And that works for people because maybe people aren't ready or want the, the one modality that, that you mm-hmm. teach and they want two others. Yeah. And that's just their choice and that's what they're resonating with and that's part of their journey and that's fine. I think that kind of harkens back to the way that you mentioned that you integrate with or, or attempt to collaborate with Western medicine. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to mm-hmm. tell someone that something is absolutely right or absolutely wrong. It's what I'm kind of gathering is integration where useful and mm-hmm. 
separation where useful. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Earlier on, you said something about you walk 10 steps and there's there's really common things that everyone has in their garden. Mm. And I wonder if you'd be willing to share a couple of very common things that some of our listeners might be able to find near them and how they could use them in a in a safe home practice way if anyone out there is like me and afraid of nature. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of been taught to be afraid of nature. Yeah. There are some po- very poisonous plants out there, but they're fairly easy to identify. Mm. Unlike mushrooms. Nettle. Oh my goodness. It's so abundant right now as well. Sticking nettle. They are packed full of nutrients, iron, magnesium, potassium, calcium, just a multivitamin in a herb basically and I love making a really strong nettle infusion that's one of my favorite ways to consume it so it's an overnight tea basically and the thing about nettle is once it's been jostled up a bit it doesn't sting anymore so once the needles are broken they don't really sting Mm. so the tea won't sting you can also use the leaves in cooking and again they won't sting Mm -hmm. and recently when I was teaching a group we made an apple cider vinegar based metal kind of tincture and oxymel so you can just pour a bunch of apple cider vinegar on it and leave it for a couple weeks and then use that vinegar so you get all of that really nice nutrition so you pour apple cider vinegar on top of the nettles and you just leave it for a couple of weeks and then after a couple of weeks you have what you drink it you cook with it you yeah both you you obviously take the nettles out so you just have the apple yeah, cider vinegar right. left and then... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Important step. Important step. And then use the vinegar as food or as medicine as you like. Oh. Okay. So nettles. It's very simple. It's all very simple. I mean, that sounds much yeah. simpler. See, and it's not something you would ever think to like, oh, hey, I see this plant all the time. Let me take it home and put some vinegar on it. And then I'll have something that gives me nutrients. Like mm. instead, it's easier for me to just take a supplement. But actually, it... There's something a bit, again, that like connection to the earth and connection to the land around me, getting my vitamins from, from that source sounds, sounds great. And, you know, wild greens and wild foods, definitely a higher density of nutrients. So. Also free. Also free. And then if you look at it from a microbiome standpoint as well, you're getting a variety of environments into your diet. But that's definitely not a rabbit hole that I'm prepared to go down right now. The microbiome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Save that for another day. I would love to go down a gut microbiome rabbit hole with you, but we'll definitely (laughs) save that for another day. Yeah, let's save that for another day. That's connected to mental health. So we'll come back to it another day. Oh, massively. Oh, and so much. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing I will say about nettle Mm -hmm. is once it flowers or seeds, that's the end of the harvesting season. So just... If it's flowering or seeding, don't harvest it. Does it become poisonous or does it just not as nutritional? It becomes irritant. Okay. Irritant. So essentially the mineral content gets quite high and then it can irritate the kidneys. So it's just irritant. Is that a general rule for a lot of things? Because I know with some of the herbs that I attempted to grow in my garden, once they flower, they're not good. And you actively try to pick some of the flowers off to keep them from... I don't know. It's a little different. So if you think about where, this is going to be a little bit more botany, but if you think about where the energy of the plant needs to go. Ah, uh, right. Okay. So I'm talking about 
you know, all of its yeah. sugars, basically, it, it needs to go into the flowering process. And, and it depends if the flower is also, if that plant is going to be an annual or a biannual. I'm not going to ask you to go down that because you've already <laughs> again bought me rabbit hole. Maybe not it's all, today, all but, words um... that I know exist in relation to plants. <laughs> but okay, so nettles. What about dandelion? Because that one's pretty universal. Dandelion's great. Yeah, all parts of the dandelion are edible except the stalk. Oh. There are lookalikes of dandelion though. So see, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of us intuitively know what a dandelion is. We just don't know why we know what it is compared to other things. And I think I did that with the group where there was a sow thistle right beside a yes. dandelion. And I said, which one of these is a dandelion? And all of you were correct. And I was like, okay, but why isn't the sow thistle a dandelion? Like, what's the difference? And everyone was like, well, I don't know. Looks, <laughs> looks different. So yeah, so most people intuitively know what dandelions look like anyway, but all parts of it are edible. And again, with the energy going up or down the plant with the root, the root is delicious, I think, especially roasted, but best to harvest that in the autumn or the spring when the, the energy is still at the root and not going up into the stalk and creating a flower. Oh, all right. So don't go get your weed killer out for your dandelions. Just pick them, clean yeah, them. Just pick them and clean them, cut them up. What do you do with the roots? Do you, you roast them? Yeah, I mean... You can tincture them, but I would say roast them. That's a really nice way. Or just dry them. Yeah. And then the leaves are nice and they're quite bitter, which is good. Bitterness is a flavor that we should all learn to be able to handle again. But the leaves are a nice bitter salad leaf. So we have, I mean, we have so much. And, and thank you for giving us a couple of examples. And hopefully that was helpful to anyone listening. You've got, you've got, medicine and salad in your in your yard or your garden and you don't even realize so shay if there's one thing you would like for listeners to take away from what you've shared today what would you like that to be i would love them to go out and smell all of the flowers that they see and just create that sensory interaction with the green world around you just start there. Simple enough. Mm. It's a really easy place to start. I think we can all, who's mad at smelling some flowers today? <laughs> and my last question for you is, the podcast is called Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And I'm curious how you would or would not associate yourself with that term. Mm, mm. I don't identify with that term. But it's interesting because I definitely, you know, I, I have wounds. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be naive to say that those don't inform the practices mm -hmm. that I share. But I'm hesitant to attach myself too deeply to those wounds mm. in terms of, yeah, because I, I, those wounds are evolving and they're dynamic. And I have wounds, but I don't necessarily think I'm wounded in the same way. And... It's just being touchy about the language. That's how I feel. And then I don't identify as a healer at all. Okay. And there's a herbalist, and I wish I remembered her name. She's at a conference, and she said that she is a matchmaker. And that is how I identify when it comes to my herbal practice. Whoa. That's beautiful. The plants are healers. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? The plants are healers. Absolutely. But I'm a matchmaker. And I also... 
On the other side of that, though, I think there are a few people I've met that I would say are healers. And one person is coming to mind, and it's Rosemary Gladstar, and she's like the grandmother of American folk herbalism. She's amazing. And I've met her in person before, and being in her presence feels healing. You feel better for being just sitting beside her. And she she wasn't in her role as a herbalist when I met her. She mm-hmm. was sitting on a picnic blanket having a chat. And yeah, she she is healing. She just mm. walks and talks that way. So yeah, I'm the matchmaker. Yeah, I love that. So today it's conversations with a matchmaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast to share your work and to share your your thoughts on kind of how we interact with ourselves and with nature. Mm. Where can people find you? Instagram. So I'm at nine.herbs, the number nine. And my website is nineherbs.co.uk. And then I teach at yoga studios around Brighton. I teach at Space Yoga Studio, Energy for Life, teach at Luna Wave, and I teach at Soul Fit in Lewis. You can find me on their weekly timetables as well. Cool. And I highly recommend if you are local to Brighton and Lewis visiting one of Shay's classes. They are super fun. <laughs> I've enjoyed all the classes of yours that I've been to. So yeah, well, thank you so much, Shay. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and hope to go down the gut microbiome spiral with you another time. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at Head Heart Biz Therapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at at Spare Room Wellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. I'm Sarah Buino. And I'm Ann Remy. Until next time, bye-bye.